Welcome back to the Comics Course, more formally known as Miskatonic University Literature Department's Remote Offering of Graphical Literature 209, or Literature 209, Graphical Literature in Society and History. This is the Comics Course, uh, taught by myself, Professor Hamby, and my ever both errant and present, she is a paradox of a TA, Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Well, a TA is a person. I mean, we don't let, like, the wolfhounds be TAs or anything like that. So by saying you're a TA, we're implicitly saying that you're a person also. No, I'm clearly not a paradox. I'm a person. All people are paradoxes. Because we're all batshit nuts. Um, for those who want, you can go see the website, comicscourse.org. It is still a work in progress. Our schedule is totally messed up. You can download the podcast of the course lectures at comicscourse.captivate.fm, and you can get a hold of me on Twitter when I remember to log on as at Prof Hamby, P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y. We are so, so late. The holidays have screwed us up. Uh, the dean came to my office to chew me out. Apparently, uh, I am supposed to actually teach classes, even if they're remote. This seems ridiculous to me. I tried explaining that I was out of Hellboy Hellwater Whiskey, which is my drinking whiskey, and apparently that's not an adequate reason to not teach. Who would have known? So, mm. fortunately, the nutrition department found a few cases at a supplier, so uh, I'm stocked up on teaching whiskey again for a bit. Dr. Feckett is still out. Um, You have to... Forgive me, the hounds in the quad are barking. We also have some generators running nearby. Apparently, there is some repair construction going on the science building. Uh, what did you do this time? I, I don't know what they did. All I know is that the material pulled in rather than went out, and they didn't have to carry any out of the building. So your guess is as good as mine. Probably. See, if they had just become literature students, this wouldn't happen. Instead, they would just get eaten. We have the lowest expo. No, we have the lowest fatality rates in the university here. No, we are not part of languages. Language arts, including ancient languages, shares some space with us, but they are a different tract. Okay, so Black Panther, Christopher Priest. Let's get into it. So we've just spent the last two collections. And I'm doing volume three of the Black Panther by Christopher Priest, the complete collection here. Uh, I will put up the link on the website so you can grab it from wherever you want. We all know you're going to buy it from Amazon. It's all right. Um, I just try not to say that too loudly because they're not, you know, supporting the university and sponsoring this lecture series. So they're a bunch of stingy bastards. Uh, uh, Unless you know, their comic book uh, platform starts to sponsor us, in which case, then they are obviously erudite and wise people. But until then, they're a bunch of bastards. And can do no wrong? At that point, yes. Because money will make us friends. (laughs) Um, Christopher Priest, Sal Valetto, doing pencil work. Uh, They've kind of become a team on this title. And for the first two volumes of the complete collection... He has built up the Black Panther. Now he tears him down. Now, the interesting thing about this is 
Christopher Priest had a goal of basically killing off T'Challa, getting rid of him, which, of course, is kind of what's happened in the movies because of the tragic passing away of the actor playing T'Challa in the movies. But in, instead of a anti-vaxxer insane actress taking over the role of the sister in the next Black Panther, instead they had it be the street-level New York character. Remember, this was the age of Marvel Knights. Joe Casado was leading up the Marvel Knights initiative at Marvel and gaining a lot of power and prestige in the company. So the idea of transitioning someone like Black Panther to a street-level New York character uh, as a name and costume and a bit of legacy, but a, a new character probably made sense to them. Uh, it eventually got ignored later on, though. But this is where we transition to that. So how do we transition from this badass king who seems to be unbeatable to somebody who steps aside? Well, Christopher Priest does it in the way that he does lots of things by being a giant fucking nerd. Now, this is something that people have to understand. When people read Christopher Priest books like Black Panther, they think Christopher Priest must be like the comic book Shaft. I mean, he writes such goddamn cool characters, and he does. He has a talent for it. And I'm not saying he's not Shaft. I don't know. I've never seen them in the room at the same time. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. But I will tell you this. With what Christopher Priest brings up in his books, he shows a knowledge of the history of comics that would enable him to guest lecture on this series easily. And he loves the history of comics. He loves going back to the well and he uses it, and he does it again here. So let's jump in to volume three, uh, where we essentially see the deconstruction of the Black Panther. And we start with a big double page, issue number 36, says... We're celebrating T'Challa's 35th anniversary, 100-page monster Black Panther. It's a kind of lame cover, actually. And we get some neat pencil work on the inside, um, some interesting, you know, sort of illustrations of the Black Panther's physique from Sal Veloto. It's pretty neat. And then we get into this weird, like, cyberpunk dystopian future where when I opened it, and, okay, I don't know if Christopher Priest has ever written Batman. I should check. But there are so many Batman homages in his Black Panther work. I, I know he's a Batman fan. When I opened this, my brain screamed, Commissioner Gordon, top of the Gotham Police Department building, waiting for Batman to show up. I was about to say, it looks like Gotham. And that looks like Commissioner Gordon. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's Everett K. Ross in the future. I mean, look at that. Look at the next page. That is Commissioner fucking Gordon. Plot twist. But, but, Plot twist. But it is Everett K. Ross, who is not the head of the New York Police Department, but is the Secretary of State for the United States government. Well, of course he's not the New York Police Department because he's the head of the Gotham one. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, we get flying cars. We... Get Monica Lynn. Uh, it turns out Monica Lynn and Everett Ross were married for a while. And we find out that T'Challa has sworn to never set foot in America again. And we also find out that Queen Divine Justice, I still hate that name of the passion, 
who is referred to repeatedly as Black Panther's sidekick in this series, uh, especially from this point forward, and she always denies it. But they haven't even met. What do you mean they haven't met? In this issue, have they? Yeah. Oh. Briefly. Okay. Enough for her to be annoyed with the idea of she's supposed to be betrothed, even if it is in a purely ceremonial manner, to some guy she hasn't met. She has, you know, highly American values. Well, we find out that she's living in Wakanda in this future, and uh, she apparently changed her mind at some point because she opened up her ovaries and went to Chala, make me a mommy. And she pumped a kid out who looks just like her, exactly like her, and then later wears her outfit. Writer wanted to bring her back. It's the same writer. This is Christopher Priest. And then we see this guy who looks like Zuri lifting up and tossing a rhinoceros. What did he ever do to you? I mean, does that not look like Zuri? It does. That's T'Challa. No, it's fucking not. It's T'Challa, man. I'm telling you. No, it's fucking not. That's Zuri. I know. The whole thing is weird, isn't it? I mean, T'Challa's always been buff, but... He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime was a pussy buff now. Seriously. And that rhino, I mean, he did things to that rhino's neck that, I mean, PETA's calling. I think there were bones in his neck he broke that aren't supposed to be there. Yeah. So we move on with the story, and I'm not going to go into it in any great detail, but Achebe's back, and... We get all kinds of callbacks to the stuff Christopher Priest has done so far. We even get the White Wolf showing up. And in the end, it turns out that T'Challa's other son... Oh, and by the way, Killmonger's back and all that kind of stuff. T'Challa's other son is basically attempting to stage a coup d'etat. And so T'Challa's son is trying to take over Wakanda and has engineered a bunch of bad shit to happen. So that is the story, the once and future king. And in fact, he kills his half-sister, pinning her up onto a cross in an American church with a sign that says, too late, daddy. I think Achebe is the one that actually did it, but the son basically engineered it. And we get basically older versions of the Falcon and Power Fist showing up to help out. Um, It's an interesting story. But it points to this idea that Christopher Priest is building towards that this isn't an alternate universe. This is essentially the future that he envisions for T'Challa. That T'Challa has gotten older, moved back to Wakanda, cut off relations with the U.S., sworn to never return, and has a vaguely defined medical condition. That's a problem. But I don't think he would marry one of the... um... Uh, Dora Milaje? Yeah, because the whole point of him was not marrying any of them. Well, something might have become stabilized in that time. We don't know. But there are things in here that directly contradict later things in the story. Now, bear with us, because shifting around in time is going to become a thing as we move on here. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Now, I debated when I was putting together my notes for this lecture whether to summarize or go through. The thing about summarizing is the story in a summarized form is actually not that complicated. But the way he presents it is masterful. Christopher Priest is, in my mind, one of the great writers in comic books. And his way of taking things and presenting them 
is incredibly engaging. So I'm going to go along with the books to talk about them here rather than simply summarize them. However, I'm not going to attempt to go into a bunch of idea on things like metaphors because there aren't any. This is just entertainment, but it is crafted in a wonderful form. So in the collection, I'm going to kind of skip over some stuff like this Hulk story they tossed in that Priest wrote, including the Hulk and Queen Divine Justice. He really loves her. He does. And we're going to skip past all that. And she does provide a voice for some of his ideas about American politics and life, which we'll see a little bit later. So we start this off with a three-part story called Return of the Dragon. And I think this is a wonderful cover. I love Sal Voluto's uh, pencils in this. Where and we see Colleen Wing with a sword from her grandfather, and she gets ambushed by this super villainous. And I'm trying to think how to describe her costume. Nothing. She has nothing. Those aren't booty shorts. It's bikini bottoms. I think that's past bikini at that point. It's showing so much. She does have thigh high boots. Um, so technically a bunch of skin is covered there. She has bikini bottoms. She has like some sort of belt and a necklace and something that covers her boobs, but it doesn't even tie around the back. So her whole back is bare. It, 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 it it's, it doesn't even fully cover all the boobs. Right. There's still side boobs. Right. Now the art is inconsistent here because on this page, you can clearly see there is nothing covering the back, although on the previous panel, it looks like the sort of bikini top has a back section. So that's a little inconsistent. The writer was, the artist was not The artist was like, I want to do a bare female back. That'll be hot. And got away with it, totally. <laughs> but she does have a belt with pouches. And she is a super villainous with a bad quasi-southern accent, which they indicate by her saying sugar a lot. Yeah. The cringe is real. But it turns out that her background, and, and by the way, she's run into like Power Man, Iron Fist, and Black Panther in the past in other not, in Power Man and Iron Fist when Black Panther guested, and Black Panther put her away. So she has a score she wants to settle with him. The reason she's a supervillain, by the way, is that she's a brilliant genetic scientist who was bored and became a supervillain because it'd be fun. So That's her origin. So Marvel's equivalent of Harley Quinn? Uh, Harley Quinn was motivated by psychotic love. But I mean in the sense of being bored and terrorizing. Right. So she takes the name Nightshade. She has science. Um... She's basically a lazy D&D &D character background. Okay. Yeah. But there she is, and she's explaining what happened while her friends are trying to get the story out of her and making calls. Meanwhile, Nightshade is back in a lab taking the ashes that she took off Colleen Wing's trophy case to resurrect the Black Dragon. I'm sorry, but you would not be doing science stuff in that little clothing. And then engineered into his cells some sort of explosive where if she doesn't cure him in a certain amount of time, 
he goes boom again, so he will do what she wants. Although he turns out to not do exactly what she wants. Because they never do what you want. Right. So he's a shape changer. So he shows up in New York and in his dragon form and starts destroying stuff. Why does anyone live in New York? I don't know. I really have no idea. Anymore in the Marvel Universe? Now somewhere, while all this was happening, Black Panther and Queen Divine Justice and Peter Jairich and other folks are headed back. And turns out Queen Divine Justice has learned how to fly Wakandan Design Group uh, supersonic jets at some point. You know, I, I'm presuming, you know, maybe in the mornings, because she was making fried chicken in the kitchens in the afternoon. So maybe she became a pilot in the mornings. I don't know. Well, there was enough time. She could have taken lessons and stuff. Taken lessons. Taken lessons, which is clearly a huge time yeah. skip. So then they go to see Everett Ross who's reading Oprah Winfrey's magazine while still in Mephisto's body. <laughs> the artist had fun with that. Yes. <laughs> but of course, it turns out, as the Black Panther points out, it can't be Mephisto's body because Mephisto is bound by his oaths. And at the end of the confrontation with Mephisto, Mephisto swore to never deal with the Black Panther again and never be in his presence again. Well, here they are. So it's just someone who looks like Mephisto. Somebody wanted to create a false trail. Mm -hmm. It turns out that someone is a shapeshifter who's been around causing, who is now walking around with a newly resurrected body who's a shapeshifter, whose person who's resurrected said shapeshifter has issues with Black Panther. So the dragon swapped his mind, shapeshifted into an image of Mephisto, and then swapped his mind with Everett Ross, which leads us to how Black Panther finds the dragon in Everett Ross's body because the guy has rented a super expensive hotel suite and escorts and is running up all of Ross's credit cards. Uh-oh. Right. So this is bad, right? And clearly wants to make himself known. Right. Meanwhile, the t a clock is ticking because Nightshade put that time-delayed bomb in the cells of the dragon's body, which Ross is now in. Uh-oh. Right, so this is bad, right? Very. So, meanwhile, the dragon's just like, I'm just hanging out. It's all good. I I'll read you the dialogue here because it's great. My point exactly, Lord King. You can't kill me, not without killing Ross. And even if you do manage to switch us back, that will only empower me to unleash horrors upon you and your people. Therefore, your proposal is rejected. Thank you for your time. I regret that matters must now progress to an unpleasant stage. Must they, Lord King, as you said. I have no quarrel. Go in peace. He settled down to watch TV with the girls in bikinis, you know, hugging on him and feeding him fruit. And the TV says, Underwater cameras are now transmitting photos of what appears to be giant eggs blown apart by high-tech depth charges. And the black dragon in Ross's body freaks out. Because what he did was he planted some eggs down there to hatch in a certain number of days' time. 
so he could use that material to create a new body with the baby dragons to transfer his mind into. So he just killed his babies. So T'Challa did. He wouldn't deal with T'Challa, so T'Challa destroyed the eggs. Congrats. This is why you don't fuck with the Black Panther. You don't fuck with the Black Panther. So the dragon is pissed off. Now the dragon is brother to one of the great dragons of Kunlun. So it occurs to him, what I should do is get a hold of somebody I know from Kunlun and fuck with the Black Panther, namely Iron Fist. So he gets a hold of Iron Fist and does a psychic whammy on him. And it's a very dramatic panel. I mean, there's like lasers coming out of Iron Fist's eyes, fire from his hands. I mean, he, he looks like Darkseid's illegitimate baby here. You know, like Darkseid, shape change, came down to New York, hooked up uh, somewhere in Central Park, uh, maybe in a, you know, something that went wrong, and then boom, Danny Rand came out. And, uh, you know, the whole, you know, I went to Kunlun, he just doesn't want to admit that he's Darkseid's, you know, on the side baby. But all of that, not true. <laughs> Because that's also a different universe. What? Yeah, none of that could be true. But I'm just talking about the lasers coming out of his eyes. It's freaky. Uh -huh. I kind of went on a side there. Sorry. Uh -huh. I got my teaching whiskey again. It's good. Okay. All right. So. Classes with me. I, I'm teaching right now. So all the story goes on. Now, I don't understand. I understand that Iron Fist has been, you know, head whammied by the dragon. I don't understand why his costume changed colors as a result of it. He but, ran back to his home to physically change. Okay. So he does. He has been staying character. And I got to say, these covers, Voluto kills these covers. They're awesome. Every single one of them. So as we proceed, Ross is, you know, he's not doing too great. But he does figure out a shape changer. Maybe I can control the shape changing. So, he uses it to figure out how to be himself again. Now, I want to talk about issue 39 here. It's called Nuff Said. This was an experiment Marvel did this month where a whole bunch of their titles went entirely textless. They used that tagline that Stan Lee used to use of Nuff Said and put no dialogue in the books. So, we get a whole issue here with no dialogue. We get Queen Divine Justice leaving a note saying have to break out for a minute to figure things out. You know, we get a few things where people write notes to help explain things to us, but no dialogue is said anywhere. Wait, so they're breaking the fourth wall? No, no. It's not breaking the fourth wall because they're notes to himself that we happen to see. Oh, okay, okay, okay. In this case, Everett Ross drawing inside a children's book about dragons, mm. trying to figure things out. And I love that when he draws himself, with uh, buying, being body swapped with Mephisto, he has a bunch of pairs of pants falling down, like Mephisto did to him uh, back in the apartment when he made friends with Buster the rat. But we get this whole long fight sequence in Return of the Dragon, which, of course, name of classic martial arts uh, film, where Black Panther fights Danny Rand, a.k.a. Iron Fist, with no dialogue at all as they fight in the river in New York City. And there's one particular place here I want to point out. Now, I do want to note that Everett Ross doesn't do a great job with learning how to control the shape-changing right away. So there is a point here where he's walking around and the dragon's body with just the Everett Ross head. 
And the head of Wakandan security's like, uh, no, just go back and to your quarters. I don't get paid enough for this shit. Um, that's the exact I mean, look on his face. I don't get I mean, that's the us. universal look of underpaid security guards everywhere. <laughs> I don't get paid enough for this shit. Just go back. Yeah, exactly. But as the story goes on, of course, Black Panther does well in his fight against Iron Fist, but Iron Fist, who's been, you know, jazzed up with juice, gets a bunch of extra power. But this, there's a panel right here that shows T'Challa's head being rocked to the side as Iron Fist strikes him. His mask is torn up, and this is, you know, presumably the vibranium-enhanced suit. And it, it communicates. He's being hit hard. This panel is going to come back up as we go through future issues. Mm -hmm. By the end, he manages to stop Iron Fist and help Iron Fist's head return to the right place, but he's so exhausted that T'Challa himself just collapses. And at the end, the dragon emerges from the river. Now, as we proceed forward, essentially, the rest of the story involves the conflict and how T'Challa chooses in the end to take the dragon with him to Wakanda and try to help the dragon get a cure. So T'Challa's solution isn't just to beat down the enemy, but to make a friend out of an enemy. Makes sense. And to choose a path of trying to help those in pain. Mm -hmm. Now we get to Enemy of the State 2, because we had an Enemy of the State storyline earlier in Christopher Priest's run. This is five issues, and this gets convoluted. As if it wasn't already? So we start with this guy in Vegas who works for a rap company, and he gets assassinated. Turns out his company is also laundering money for the CIA. Now, this is brought up... Hmm? Why does the CIA need to launder money? Oh, you innocent soul. You think the CIA actually wants government oversight about where all their money gets spent? Okay, fair. Uh-huh. And the CIA has been known to run things like international drug operations illegally in order to get money to fund other operations. Yeah, CIA has not always had a clean history. Whenever you get a bunch of people with clandestine abilities... And the a bunch of people end up in charge with the idea of the ends justify the means. Yeah. So anyway, right here, what's happening is he's assassinated. A senator brings this up to Iron Man. Iron Man doesn't understand why the senator would be involved. But let's look at who the senator is. It is Senator Rakim, who we saw back several times earlier, including when he approached T'Challa because he was an old college acquaintance of T'Challa. They didn't get along then. But they have remained in touch, and we will find out later in the storyline that this was engineered by T'Challa to put this issue in front of Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. Meanwhile, Tony Stark tries to call Iron Man, and we get Fruity Loops Iron Man, or Looney Tunes Iron Man, depending on what... Iron. Why did I say Iron Man? Fruity Loops or Looney Tunes Black Panther, depending on what description you want. Sorry, I had a synapse misfire. And we, this is, if you notice, this art style is very different from Sal, Sal Voluto's usual one, and it's not consistent. Everything's being drawn except that Black Panther. Now, whose art style is that? 
Look at those square fingers. That is Jack Kirby's art style. This is the Black Panther that was frozen in stasis in the Jabari tribal lands and that they revived. Kirby, you son of a bitch. That T'Challa stashed away there. So we now have this Kirby figure of Black Panther using the Kirby-era costume, and he's going through the trial to affirm that he is a legitimate regent of Wakanda. And our Black Panther consistently refers to him as king. He also refers to our Black Panther as king. They are both king? absolutely consider each other the, a legitimate king and themselves. happens when you bring Kirby creations into the mix. Now, this Black Panther, l l let's just listen to a little bit, just a tiny little beautiful nugget of his dialogue as he is fighting <laughs> the tribal warriors, all right? Oh Are we ready for this? For people who aren't seeing this, Kirby is exaggerating the movement. <laughs> well, and this is being drawn by Salvaluto, but, you know... He, this Kirby figure juxtaposed with his usual art is just bizarre. And it's like exaggerated movement, like it's cartooning almost. Right. Well, it hints the reference to like Looney Tunes, right? But as he's fighting these people, he goes, But now I must conclude my death challenge with these the fiercest of Wakandan warriors, noble men all. And should the chieftain of the Panther cult fall, he has no right to. Uh, I God, I, they're trying to make like a dialogue, a, a, a dialectic sound there that I'm not even going to try to recreate. Anyway, fearsome though they be, with certain death, my reward for failure, still shall the scion of T'Chaka, the great king, prevail or perish. I mean, he's exuberant about everything, like psycho exuberant. Yeah, <laughs> he would watch this cartoon. Well, you know, it, Jack Kirby did go on to make cartoons after he left uh, comic books. I wonder if this is a reference to that. Maybe to some degree, but it is trying to capture some of that spirit of Kirby's writing style also, you know? Which was very batshins. <laughs> I, I think this is exaggerated. I think it's more than what Kirby did, but... It's not entirely exaggerated, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, the idea of this kind of cartoonish copy of Jack Kirby's art mixed in with the super realistic, pleasant to the eye art mm -hmm. is so funny. It's bizarre. <laughs> so, then we get uh, Looney Tunes. Black Panther, T'Challa. And when he takes off his mask, we see T'Challa as Kirby drew him. Mm -hmm. He's not shy. Mm -hmm. And he's hanging around. And he's just, he's happy about life. Now he's standing there with Wakabi and Zuri. And Everett Ross says, okay, which one of you is going to tell me just what the <laughs> hell is going on here? Wakabi, I cannot discuss this. Zuri, do not even ask me. <laughs> Too much and so we don't get to find out. <laughs> now we go down to the panther layer. 
as I like to call it, because it looks like the Batcave. Wait, this is just Marvel making their own Batman. No, it's Christopher Priest making his own Batman, and a damn good one, let me say. Um, but wait, so this just goes to prove the Commissioner Gordon connection. Right. Well, and also remember, we had that whole dream sequence back in, back in Collection 2 where they all were stand-ins for Batman characters. Okay, Siri, hang with me here. This is alternate universe Batman. This is a different Earth if he's Batman. Mm, there's a there's I the difficult thing is you don't usually cross the streams with multiple universes when it comes to the companies but there have been a few company crossovers so anyway thematically it works uh, I will point out a few little things to see in the art here and the background we have the cold tiger suit Captain America's and Captain America's original shield that was given as a gift yep in exchange for the circular one. And or the some yep. creepy ass tribal looking mouth. I, I think they're probably not meant to be creepy. But we see T'Challa considering things, and he's having a flashback to that scene where Iron Fist was beating his head. That's important. And we see this ongoing pattern of T'Challa, our T'Challa, for lack of a better word, being serious and stern, and Looney Tunes T'Challa being just out there. And I, I want to share just a little bit of their exchange. The Looney Tunes T'Challa says, You are the world's greatest liar, T'Challa. A missing piece of myself that leaves me a bit vulnerable. You don't care for me. You were glad to be rid of me, and my return horrifies you. You are my king. And you are mine, T'Challa! Oh, what great mystery is this? You need to smile more, T'Challa. You've lost your joy, your verve. And what time remains to me, I shall make every effort to return those to you, my lord. I desire nothing, Lord King, but your favor. You desire love, laughter, family, all that you have denied yourself, T'Challa. I am the best part of you, and I am that which you now wholly deny yourself. Forget Ontario, call in the dancers. Now, Ontario is important because while all this batshit crazy stuff is happening with Looney Tunes T'Challa, um, the king of Wakanda, T'Challa, has just chosen to annex an island in Ontario, Canada and claim it as Wakandan soil, saying that he has a contract signed by Azari the Wise by a drunk Canadian fisherman from a hundred years ago, who accidentally wandered into Wakanda, and Azari was going to put him to death, and then the guy said, look, I own this island, I'll sign it over to you, don't kill me. And Azari, amused, said, okay, and took it and just threw him out of Wakanda. And it is now being invoked, it was T'Challa saying, they own this island, and it is sovereign Wakandan soil. Canada wants to have a talk. They want their land back. So this is creating a problem. And is invoking it under First Nation tribal laws, saying that he wishes to return it to the indigenous people of Canada. What the hell? T'Challa, you can't just do this. But he is. At the same time, hell is breaking loose in the Avengers mansion because Iron Man is tearing out 73 miles of cabling in the mansion, saying, 
Peter Jairich just brought it to his attention that the company they buy their cabling from is actually owned by T'Challa and has been used to spy on the Avengers for years. So Iron Man wants to kick T'Challa out of the Avengers. I can't blame him. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Looney Tunes T'Challa goes to a communications array and calls up his buddy Abner Little. Remember Abner Little? He's back. <sighs> Meanwhile, Abner Little, Looney Tunes Chala, and Everett Ross end up on a plane together. And a romance starts between Queen Divine Justice and Vibraxis, who's technically a Wakandan citizen. So, problem there. Meanwhile, the Avengers show up to put the third degree on T'Challa, and he basically says, bounce, bitches. <laughs> then we have, we basically find out there's this group called XCON, and XCON was the entity that apparently was behind the attempted coup of Wakanda, and they have cooed a whole other nation neighboring them in Africa. And he now reveals that, by he, I mean T'Challa, that they have taken over the Canadian government secretly and are in the process of attempting to do that to America. And that somehow his attempt to claim control of this island is a part of fighting XCON. And so then, in order to keep things as calm as possible, he recruits Wolverine. Ah, uh, yes, the error of chill. Right. Which means Christopher Priest wanted to write Wolverine. Right. So, hold on. That was only the first of five issues. That was one issue. This is what I mean about masterful storytelling. I think you're confusing a writer on a lot of drugs and masterful storytelling. No, because this all works and it comes together. And there, and he says everything by the end of it except one thing, and it's brilliant. And, I, and I'll show you why. So, now, did you miss our princess from... <laughs> Her. I remember that outfit? Oh. That, out, that outfit haunts your dreams, doesn't it? <laughs> I will tell you, if anybody ever showed this to, like, you know, Tim Gunn of Project Runway, he would probably just crawl in a fall in a fetal position crying. It was such a lazy attempt at sexy and stylish. It's bizarre. Um, so, anyway, uh, uh, Princess Nairobi, uh, I, I mean, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, I'm sorry. But, I mean, she had such a lazy-picked name, um, it might as well have been something like that. She's working at KFC, the drive-thru. And she couldn't have... The KFC uniform is better than that shit. Right. What, 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 but don't worry. T'Challa and Abner Little are on their way to collect her. Thank you. I don't want fried chicken. I want you. Now get in the con. Right. Meanwhile, there's a fight with an ex-con spy involved. And then we transition to a luxury yacht slash casino. Because why wouldn't we? Yeah. Right. So, Jairich is here, who, of course, is the idiot that screws stuff up. So is Tony Stark, who Jairich doesn't know is Iron Man. 
and then T'Challa shows up. Wait, is Iron Man's identity not public in this? No, in the comics it's not known. Oh. People are told... Oh, okay. For those who primarily know the MCU, at the end of it, S.H.I.E.L.D. gives Robert Downey Jr. a piece of paper and says, so this is my story that, you know, is my bodyguard? People are supposed to believe that? That actually is the story in the comics. Oh, and wait, and people actually believe it? Right. Wow. So, well, I mean, for the same people can't believe that Bruce Wayne could be Batman. I mean, how could somebody who's that much of a playboy be a badass superhero? Oh, yeah. Bruce Wayne? Well, he pretends to be. He's really not. Still. It's complicated. Anyway. Back to the casino. So, they're all here to talk about these big important matters, right? Mm -hmm. You know, including the fact that Tony Stark owns like 49% of the Wakandan design group. He figures T'Challa's mad about that. Blah, 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 blah. And by the end of it, what, why does it turn out that T'Challa's there? He's there to play poker. Fair. Uh, and by the end of it, billions are being put on the table. Tony Stark insists on playing. Tony Stark puts all of the stocks that he has for Wakandan Design Group on the table. It's like $33 billion on the table. The dealer says that he needs to change his underwear. There's so much money on the table. <laughs> Tony Stark replies, it's just pretend money. And the dealer says, okay, I'll just pretend to change my shorts. <laughs> and so, so Tony Stark figures that T'Challa is pissed about the Wakandan design group and all of this is a manipulation. And then T'Challa just says, I'll fold, whatever, take it all, I don't care. He's trying to piss him off. So he leaves, and while Tony Stark's trying to figure out what's going on, he looks at the hand, and T'Challa had a straight flush. A great hand. Why did you quit? Because those extra seconds he got from delaying Tony Stark figuring out what was going on is what he really wanted. Okay. So, meanwhile, in the wait, course of all these wait. events... So that means he wasn't there just to play poker. Right. What he actually is doing is going downstairs where Wolverine is to break into X-Con's vault. It turns out X-Con is running the casino. X-Con's the one behind all of the coup attempts. Um, including the successful one, the attempted one of Wakanda, the supposedly, we're told, successful one of Kanda, and the one they're currently attempting of the U.S. So the Black Panther wants something in their vault. Tony Stark figures it out just in time, goes racing just as they get into the vault, and, of course, big superhero fight breaks out. You see, Panther has a moment where T'Challa is slightly distracted. He seems to have trouble focusing, and his head flashes back to those strikes from Iron Fist again. He has a concussion? Mm. Or worse. Concussion can be dealt with. Just follow along for now. It's worrisome. Uh, Black Panther attacks Iron Man, busts up his suit. Turns out Black Panther knows how to compromise the suit's force shields, which surprises Tony Stark quite a bit. And they escape with a case, and then Alpha Flight gets involved which is kind of like oh, the Canadian a, National Superhero Team. That was a beautiful cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the next cover, Enemy of the State uh, 2, Part 3 of 5, is just an absolutely gorgeous cover. Gorgeous. I, I tell you, Voluto just kicked it out of the ballpark on his covers. His art's good interior, too, but his covers are just stunning. Mm -hmm. 
So as we move into part three, we get all these reactions from people like, what the hell is going on here? And we see Queen Divine Justice now hanging out in the ex-con spy's house in Queens with the president of the United States, Bill Clinton, who he's kidnapped. I, you got to follow along with this, man. We're moving. What? Yep. Bill Clinton. So, while this is all going on... Shouldn't he be off doing president stuff, not being kidnapped? You gotta wonder. So, all this is going on, Black Panther makes a phone call. And he orders 300 dump trucks to be donated to a local community in the middle of South America. That we've never heard of, and it appears to be totally random. It will be important later. Yep. So as the story goes on, we get the Looney Tunes Panther with Nightshade, Everett Ross, and other uh, Kirby-era characters together, and they return to Kyber Island. Oh, not again. Why is, wait, when did Nightshade join this group? Uh, she is acting as the doctor for Looney Tunes Panther, trying to stabilize his medical condition. He apparently has some sort of brain tumor. That explains a lot. And it, basically, his behavior is described as how T'Challa wishes he could act, but doesn't because of his responsibilities and pride. That's kind of sad. Yep. So they go to Kyber Island, where they face a whole bunch of crap from Kirby's era that are apparently stuck in some sort of time loop, including Kyber himself. Now, it should be noted that this, we're basically told this is a time loop because I didn't point it out. I should have. But you see the Kyber in the big, funky red suit? Mm -hmm. If you remember in the Kirby comics, he goes back with T'Challa to Wakanda and T'Challa is going to attempt to cure him. In that scene back in the Panther Cave, there was a big thing in the background where you saw a figure in like a stasis tube in a big red suit. That was the current Kyber. So this is all time loop stuff happening, including, you know, the six era man of the future, the samurai, all this stuff being drawn by Sal Voluto in Kirby style. And it's kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. And there's some funny lines here, like Everett Ross going, do I want to know why that guy has Hatch 22 tattooed on his head? No, 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 you don't. And then they even reproduce art from the substitute artist's that filled in for Kirby at the very end. So they're having fun with all these art styles of the artists who did the stories at the time, which is only something I said at the beginning that Christopher Priest would deal with this as a giant fucking comic book nerd. Well, this is it. You don't do this kind of thing like this with the direct art, even from substituted artists, unless you're a giant fucking comic book nerd. And Christopher Priest, I love you, bro. I mean, seriously, if I were a comic book writer, I would like to think I would have thought of this. And I like that they keep all the different art styles still in the same page all together. Right. They just don't give a damn. And this is a comic book being written for comic book geeks at this point. It's kind of thrilling. It is. Now, there are good ways and bad ways to do inside baseball comics. There, there is a problem with comics being written for comic book geeks. And when they're just trivia, that's bad. But when it's these brilliant combination of homages 
to communicate absurdity and style and 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 bring up these reference points is brilliant. And it's okay as long as normal readers can still follow along. And they can. And this is the sort of thing where a normal reader might go, oh, maybe I should go look at the earlier ones. And then they read the Jack Kirby ones and go, oh, I get it. Because they are available in Marvel Masterworks collections and stuff. So finally, they find here on Kyber Island what they were looking for, one of the brass frogs. And we find out what was in the XCON vault that they wanted so badly. The other brass frog. Wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. He messed up. Kirby Why? drew them gold. They're actually brass here. I know, but Kirby called them brass but drew them gold. <laughs> but there are some golden tints there. He, he fixed Kirby's mistake. <laughs> well, better quality printing here, too, to be fair. True. Um... So, there we go. The frogs are back. Oh no, nothing good can come from this. Everything good's gonna come from this. So then, of course, we have to drag Monica Lynn into this. Because artists and writers love Monica. Including Black Panther loves her. So he brings her a rose. And is gonna drag her into this. Meanwhile, Queen Divine Justice has decided uh, she's gonna be in Queens with an ex-con spy and a kidnapped president of the U.S., She's going to hold a dance party with a DJ. Of course, because that's what you do when you kidnap. And we do get a great panel where Bill Clinton, wearing shades and a hat, attempt to get some music that he likes from the DJs. Like, you got some Merle Haggard? No. Faith Hill? No. Robert Earl King Jr.? No. Dixie Chicks? No. And you can just tell the DJ's like, fuck me, what's this one white dude doing here? What's this one old white dude doing here? <laughs> Meanwhile, um, the issue of the dump trucks has come out. Mm-hmm. So he didn't care about all those shares of the Wakandan design group and losing them back to Stark Industries. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out those dump trucks, there was a problem with... Uh, a certain crop that got ruined somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge shortage in the market. Mm-hmm. That led to where the dump trucks were, now being able to harvest a bumper crop and sell crop at a very high rate. Mm-hmm. This led to a huge infusion of cash in a local bank that was having a legal fight with Stark Enterprises. By the time all said was done, due to some other investments, those donations of dump trucks to that South American community led to T'Challa now owning Stark Enterprises and getting the control of the Wakandan Design Group back. Wait, I'm confused. And now... Wait, I'm confused. How does that... It's complicated. Okay. Do you really want me to go over it again? No. Okay. So now, Zuri's been placed in as the receptionist at Stark Enterprises. Who's answering the phone with a bucket of KFC, by the way, um, and says, Stark Enterprises, Zuri speaking. No, you may not. The master is busy. Do not make me crush you like the insect you are. May I take a message? (laughs) (laughs) And T'Challa, it's been like one hour, and T'Challa has already put a bronze nameplate next to the door that says T'Challa, CEO, Stark Enterprises. Just to piss off Tony Stark. Because he 
knows he can mess with his knees off. Right. So Tony Stark is starting to put all this together. And we find out that Tony lied earlier and lied to the Avengers. Because ABC Cabling, the company, was not owned by T'Challa. It was owned by Tony Stark. And that information that it was owned by T'Challa was being fed through the idiot Henry Gyrich, the U.S. State Department entity, and currently Everett Ross's boss, um, because it was essentially a coded message for Stark to play up being opposed to T'Challa and that T'Challa would need him to act later. So T'Challa is manipulating everybody again. Now, in the course of all this, Stark does manage to piss off T'Challa a couple times. For example, you know, lecturing him on the nature of good and evil. T'Challa's like, I'm a king. Who are you to lecture me on good and evil? And, you know, saying things like, I thought we were friends. And T'Challa says, friends? Uh, I've invited you to my home. I've fed you in my home. When have you ever invited me to your home? Yeah, I, yeah. T'Challa's like, ah, yeah. Well, Tony Stark is awkward at that point. So all this is happening, and again we see T'Challa the manipulator, and he's playing everybody like a fiddle, just everybody. And as Tony Stark and him have this huge dramatic confrontation, and they and Tony Stark begins to head out, then Looney Tunes Panther shows up with the other brass frog. And basically what we find out is, remember, all the way back in Jack Kirby's Black Panther, one frog was needed to pull figures from out of the time loop, and then both of them needed to send it back. X-Con was using their frog to pull figures from the future, and while they were disoriented, hypnotize them. So the way they staged the coup of Canada was they pulled from the time stream a slightly future Justin Trudeau, or whoever was prime minister at the time, hypnotize him, and then get rid of the existing prime minister. And that's what they're doing with Bill Clinton, replacing the prime minister and presidents with themselves after being mind-controlled. They're replacing our president? And that's why there are these multiples going around. This is why Bill Clinton's been kidnapped and nobody's noticed it. This is what the frog was for. But of course, it turns out that in the course of all this, it's been done to Tony Stark too. So Tony Stark, clone, uh, or future version who's been brainwashed, now dones a stealth suit to go after Iron, go after Black Panther. Now, as we reach the last issue of Enemy of the State, part Enemy of the State 2, we find out that this is now in the future being explained to a congressional panel by Everett Ross in cowboy clothes. With a slideshow. With, with, with things like drawings that says King Solomon's Frogs, Exhibit 23C. Now, Cinder Rakim, if you remember him, does interrupt this discussion to ask, why are you dressed like a cowboy? Good question. And he says, well, they didn't give me time to change, Cinder Rakim. I'm certain we'll all muddle through now. You'll have to find out. Now let's get back to the story. <laughs> you gotta wait for that. But I have questions. 
And the questions will get answered. Dear God, will they get answered. So now we get into Black Panther is preparing to fight Iron Man with two weapons. A Kirby-esque power glove and a spray bottle of Dr. Clean. That you use to like clean kitchen surfaces and stuff. No, no, I know what's yeah. Dr. Clean. I'm... Oh, so they encounter in a, uh, a sewer. And first off, Black Panther figured out that he was going to use this suit. And including that's made out of a ceramic alloy. Which the ammonia in the spray cleaner is going to mess up. Causing venting problems that he can send electrical shocks through. Uh, compromise the CO2 system and cause all kinds of problems. So he just compromised one of the most advanced pieces of technology on the earth with a spray bottle of Dr. Clean. That probably cost one dollar a dollar store. Right. And he did not spray proof his suit. Well, it was an awfully specific thing. Now there they have a verbal exchange during these fights in this issue that are great. Including Tony Stark saying things like, you know, this is, I built my first suit when I was 14. And, Tony, and T'Challa says something like, I built, you know, my first armored exoskeleton stuff when I was 12. So what? And, you know, somebody else says of their conflict, they say, you know, Tony Stark built the Iron Man suit. T'Challa never bothered to build a suit. Have you ever asked yourself why? <laughs> So, you know, we have this information that T'Challa has essentially built Iron Man suits and didn't consider them worthwhile to use. What? He, con he considers them too limiting. So, yeah. So now they get to the mano-mano part, and Iron Man's like, I've analyzed all your fight systems. I have an AI that'll predict everything. I'm going to kick your ass. So that's when he pulls on the glove and, uh, and basically is like, did your AI ever analyze me as a boxer? And then proceeds to beat the living shit out of Iron Man by just pummeling him with brute force. Which the AI in the suit is not prepared for. <laughs> and hold on. Wait. <laughs> We're only about halfway through the issue. We're only halfway? Because that was, of course, the Tony Stark that's been brainwashed by XCON, the real Tony Stark has woken up now, too. And it turns out that that is Looney Tunes Black Panther down there, who, who knocked out our Black Panther and swapped suits with him because he, didn't, he was concerned that T'Challa might die, and he'd rather die in his place. Wait, 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 wait. So he swapped suits and swapped art styles. Yep. And he's being very serious and dark down there. So we're seeing that the Looney Tunes... Black Panther is every bit the brilliant genius of our T'Challa. He's just able to have fun. Right, and not all there mentally in all the ways. Because tumor. Right. And we get those flashbacks to those energy-enhanced strikes from Iron Fist again. In other words, this is where the tumor came from. Oh. And so that's T'Challa's, our T'Challa, is just beginning to suffer it. And they don't know how it happened, but that T'Challa is a heavily progressed version from the future. 
whose tumor is close to killing him. Right. So the storyline goes on. It all gets resolved. And by the end, it's revealed that, yeah, T'Challa had it all under control the whole time. He set everything up perfectly. And the whole reason for trying to take control of the island in Canada was it was going to force the prime minister and president to be in the same place so he could confront them and send them back and reestablish the legitimate governments. So he didn't want Canada. Nope. But all does not go to plan, but it still works out in the end. And the frogs are reunited. The uh, Canadian prime minister, the U.S. president, the Tony Stark are all sent back to their correct times. Somebody says, can't we do that with this guy, the Looney Tunes Black Panther? And says, ah, he's actually kind of a different deal. We don't know where he came from. Maybe not from the frogs. No, no, the frogs definitely caused this. Nothing well, that batshit come, doesn't come from the fucking frogs. So, all that, so as it goes on, Henry Gyrich is grabs the frogs, put them in a case, and because he's arrogant and assumes he knows everything, transports them all back to the Old West. Nothing bad could come from this. So, you wanted to know why Everett Ross was in a cowboy outfit? Because he was in fucking Texas? He was in Texas and like... 1880s, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. He thought it was a good fucking idea to give Texans the frogs? Well, he didn't choose to go here. He didn't choose to activate him. He's an idiot. Henry Gyrich, to be clear, not Everett Ross. Everett Ross wanted to send the frogs back to Wakanda with T'Challa and, you know... Because that's the safest place for them. Right. Things are almost as bad as if the frogs got sent to Florida. Now, to understand what happens here in Buzzard Gulch, Texas. Buzzard Gulch. Now, a gulch is a deepening in the ground. And buzzards eat carrion. So, basically, it's saying it's a graveyard. The town is a graveyard. Right? Yeah. Here in Buzzard Gulch, Texas, we get a story whereby Everett Ross is mistaken for a guy named Sundance. To understand this story, you have to under go back to 1986, Thor issue 370, wherein they told a story of an alternate universe where the apples of Idun, which are used to refresh the vitality of the gods, get stolen by Loki and end up on earth and thor in the old west has to attempt to track loki down and get the apples back and it's a classic thor story so christopher priest decided to retell the story and ask himself at the beginning of the story what if this crew of fuck-ups plus t'challa teleported (laughs) into the middle of the story what would have changed so we get a retelling of Thor number 370 with our crew added. Again, what? more extreme comic book geekery. And I love it. You, you look a little stunned. Okay, we're starting to enter the realm of I'm having trouble understanding what the fuck's going on. It's brilliant. 
So Everett Raw, in the original story, this guy named Sundance is involved. She takes a job from Loki. Turns out Everett Ross is like an exact, looks exactly like Sundance. In fact, he's like, oh my God, is that like my great-great-grandfather or something? And of course, they have problems fitting in because some of them are black and it's the Old West and racism is a rampant problem. Looney Tunes T'Challa, though, he's having a great time. Of course Great time. We get to see Loki here, ancient Loki, because he needs the apples of Idunes to regenerate himself. Oh, so he, he looks old. Now, there's some interesting things done here. Now, in the original story, when Sundance goes in, everybody's just standing around staring and just being, you know, kind of like, huh, you know, not being natural at all. This is answered why here when Looney Tunes T'Challa comes in. Now, it's mentioned earlier when T'Challa says of Looney Tunes T'Challa, you have your ESP, don't you? You can read my mind, can't you? Now, remember, that was established back in Jack Kirby's Black Panther, that T'Challa had ESP. It's been completely ignored by every writer since. But, J but he brought it back. And when he enters here, he looks around, and, but our T'Challa brings it back up and says, you can read my mind and know I'm sincere, right? And Looney Tunes T'Challa says, yeah, of course, because I can read minds. And, and it's just expected. And he comes in, and uh, Looney Tunes T'Challa wants to form a posse to go after somebody. So, and goes into this saloon where people are weird and goes, I have been told a posse is being assembled here, and verily I shall join this grand adventure. This is Bessie Mays, yes? Did I miss the posse? I so wish to be part of the posse. Glory, honor, the thrill of the hunt. And the Loki figure says, Why are you here? You miss my meaning. This is not your place or even your time. The same can be said of you and your men. I am a telepath. Yea, I detect no sentient thought from any herein. Moreover, they have no scent. Ergo, they do not truly exist, but are illusionary human facades covering alien or perhaps eldritch reality. And later he attempts to read Loki's mind and gets mind fried from it. And finds out you can't read the mind of a god that easily. Right. We also get uh, Thor here, who needs the apples of Idun as well, and is trying to recover them for Asgard. And we're told that if they can get the apples to Asgard, Odin can be woken and summon the energy to restore them to their proper time. Because they still have some connection to their natural time, and the power of the Allfather could do that, and that kind of thing. So the story proceeds along, and at the very end, three classic, these, these were core big characters of Marvel in the Western era of comics. Kid Colt, the Two-Gun Kid, and the Rawhide Kid all show up. Turns out... Did you talk about them in the edition? Indigenous, indigenous Americans. Americans. Yes, I did. Episode? Yes, absolutely. And these are classic Western characters, and it turns out that Looney Tunes T'Challa, in the middle of the night, went out to the telegraph station and sent messages for them to come here. And they just listened? Yep. Well, he said that it was related to the Avengers, and there's been time travel stuff where the Rawhide Kid had traveled to the 20th century and been part of the Avengers for a while. So he figured if it was Avengers stuff, it was important, and he grabbed the Two-Gun Kid and Kid Colt 
and brought them along, who came on his say-so. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Exactly. Now, the apples of Idunes get eaten, Loki shows up. Uh, well, if you only know him from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that version of Loki is, you know, old Loki in the Loki TV series towards the end of the series. But that is the standard Loki through much of his history in the comics. And then we get the posse formed. Kid Colt, Rawhide Kid, Two-Gun Kid, and the Black Panther riding after the stagecoach, which is two hours late, which is a problem. So Thor heads off back to Asgard, figuring they failed. And it turns out that Looney Tunes T'Challa is being possessed by Loki's mind and has grown a bunch of giant Loki horns and is now riding a sky-flying train with trolls on it. Oh my fucking god. Right. The image. That image. And now we get cowboys versus trolls on a train that after crashing through a western town ends up on the Rainbow Bridge heading towards Asgard. Nothing strange about this, this at all. This is awesome. Look, when Grant Morrison talks about how comics need to embrace, you know, a real balls-to-the-wall attitude, this is what he's talking about. This is past balls-to-the-fucking-wall. This is fun. This is insane and fun. And as the story basically wraps up, they get sent home. So the conclusion is everything kind of returns to normal after it's all taken care of. But... But we now get an issue with a bunch uh, with T'Challa grieving. And we see these little flashbacks. T'Challa's thinking about things that happened. His memories are out of order. But we see a figure on a gurney with Everett Ross yelling, move, move, move. And we see the Looney Tunes T'Challa obviously dying. Um, they're trying to get him back for treatment in time. Looney Tunes T'Challa talking to Monica Lynn He's kissing her. She says she's not interested, and he says, I'm a telepath. I know what you're really thinking. You want me to kiss you. And he does, and then collapses from the tumor in his brain. They, during the course of this, T'Challa is having these, um, these uh, uh, visions, these hallucinations, like the, at this point in time, dead Magneto talking to him and mocking him. And as everything goes along, we have these interjected scenes of Queen Divine Justice, who, remember, is the legitimate head of the Jabari tribe, talking to uh, Manape, and she finds out that he's not being held for trial, he's being held for execution, which the king has put off indefinitely. But she's like, what do you mean there's no trial? That's not how it works in Wakanda. He's a traitor, and he's guilty of treason. He's going to be executed. So she enlists Vibraxis in her scheme and break out the man-ape along with the other Jabari tribe. She broke out a terrorist? Yep. Now, we saw as a result of hurriedly flying the plane to Wakanda and on the gurney getting Looney Tunes Panther, they were able to get him stabilized and he's at death's door, but maybe in the future they can save him. So he's still alive until the now-released man-ape kills him in the stasis chamber. So 
Queen Divine Justice killed Looney Tunes T'Challa. Yep. Because of her weird, fucked up idea of what fairness is. And what she thinks has to be justice. When she doesn't understand the culture or how it works. I feel like there's a metaphor in there. It's not a metaphor. It's actually a lot simpler than a metaphor. Um... So, now we get to finding out when Looney Tunes T'Challa showed up. And we find out that Looney Tunes T'Challa showed up with one of the brass frogs. Of course he did. Now, this still doesn't quite make sense. And this gets explained in a far future non-Black Panther thing. Because when the two frogs are used, they send somebody back. But one of the frogs doesn't go with them. And that restores them to their time. That doesn't explain why he's here or what happened with the frogs. That's explained in a whole other thing years later when it turns out there's a third frog. Right. But they don't explain whether this is the third frog or this is the one that ended up with XCON. It's not, that's not clear. Anyway. So he... T'Challa wants to believe that this is a T'Challa from the past, but it's not. It's of the future. And he has to accept that he's going to suffer this irreparable brain condition that's going to kill him. And we find out as he confronts Monica Lynn, this is how Christopher Priest explains that sudden divergence from Monica Lynn. He was going to marry her, and the reason he didn't was he found out that he was going to die, and he didn't want to burden Monica Lynn with that. And that's why he dumped her. Aww. So Christopher Priest is bringing all this around. And so here's this figure. He's watched himself die. He's split from Monica Lynn. I mean, he is in, he has a brain tumor starting to eat him. And the girl that he's taken in and busted his ass to protect from all the people that want to assassinate her has released an army and war is about to happen and more people are going to die. Yes, those are Panther Adats. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract you, but that... They're awesome, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And keep in mind, the Jabari people are essentially terrorists. Uh-huh. So none of this is good. By the time all is said and done, uh, there's a resolution where T'Challa almost kills Queen Divine Justice. She's lose- He's losing his mind, and th- there's no happy ending here. Uh-huh. And... In the throne room, he discards his ceremonial garb and is just gone. And that's it. That's the end. Now, after that, we're going to transition into Complete Collection Volume 4 with where they wanted to take things, which is essentially a T'Challa-less Black Panther. But not as other later people did T'Challa-less Black Panther. Because Shuri doesn't exist yet. That hasn't been retconned into existence yet. That happens when Wakanda is retconned into North Africa. Because there's one thing that you need to know about Wakanda. It's never in the same fucking place. No, it never is. Now, if you do get the complete collection by Christopher Priest, they do also include in it uh, several other things, some of which I don't think matter. But one is nice. They do provide a full reprint of Thor number 370, so you can read the original story that Christopher Priest inserted the characters into, which is really awesome. 
Well, so you can see what it originally was, um, which is really neat, I think, and how it resolved. And then there is a standalone story where they were doing this transition and Christopher Priest stepped away from the book some and they brought in somebody to write and draw. The writer was Jay Torres. The penciler was Ryan Bodenheim. And they did a two-issue story that went into the past. So it doesn't continue the existing story. Now, there are a few weird things here. Now, one, the art style to me looks like somebody trying to copy Todd McFarlane. That's just me. It does. But Todd McFarlane was so popular at the time, I'm not surprised. We do get to see... Actually, I kind of like that, so it feels less jarring. That's one of my kind of issues with American comics. It's so jarring with the change of art styles. We do get to see Taku here. Oh, and speaking of Taku, I didn't point it out, but in the big battle scene in the last issue, we got to see Venom briefly. (gasps) Taku's boyfriend. I hope under Wakandan law they can marry. I don't know. I, I can't imagine. They, they don't mention it. I, I, you would hope, right? Mm-hmm. So we well, see... They have so much shit to deal with. I can't, see, I can't imagine them caring about that. Yeah. They're too busy moving continents. Right. Uh, moving countries. Sorry. The Wakandas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which gets used again. <laughs> um, so, but in this, what happens is, remember it was mentioned that there was a whole other African country that was coup d'etat? Well, this is the story of that coup d'etat and when that royal family comes to America. I'm not going to go over the story. It's not terribly important. But I did think it was interesting they went in and filled that in. They had Everett Ross being an idiot and replicating the same mistake he did with T'Challa and showing up in a small Miata to pick up a whole royal party. And the other thing that I I want to point out, because they're continuing Christopher Priest's love of Batman, look at the outfit they put Black Panther in here. see if I can get a good image of it. There we go. That is so Batman. Honestly, if you showed me this page and gave me no context that it's Black Panther, I would think that it's Batman. Specifically, Year One Batman, or maybe a modern take on the Batman they did for Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. If you showed me this, I thought this was just a super stylation version yeah. of Batman. And, and it's just in these two issues. And dude, dude. Those lapels, those Batman lapels, they don't exist anywhere else. They have points on them, like damn bat wings. He's the Bat Panther. I, I really do. I call this one Bat Panther. The, the artist, there is no way the artist wasn't looking at Batman art and going, I want to make Black Panther look like Batman when he did this panel. I know, There's right? There's no fucking way he did not do this on purpose. Right. Well, we're going to... Uh, uh, I'm going to get this posted tonight, and over the next few days, we're going to try to catch up on podcasts. One more thing. Okay. I want a what-if episode with Looney Tunes, Black Panther. Oh, like what else could Black Panther have done? Mm-hmm. With Looney Tunes, Black Panther. With Looney Tunes, Black Panther. I don't know. We have to think about that. That could be fun. All right. Um, well, we're at an hour 20 minutes, so that was fun, though. And I think Christopher Priest is a brilliant writer. Uh, uh, I, I've been, I don't know if he's still reading. I'm a little bit behind on it, but I've really been enjoying his run on Vampirilla as well lately. So, okay. We will return soon with more lectures. Keep reading comics. Bye.